This is the Movie Hall of Fame for Thursday, December 10th, 2020. I'm Nico. I'm your host. And here he is, our Chris Kringle. I'm Chris Kringle. You know, I'm the Chris Kringle. Yeesh. You're the Scrooge. <laughs> You're the Scrooge McDuck of this program. It's Adam Hall! Mm-hmm. You see, I don't know. I think I might be closer to Chris Kringle because I'm the one who can actually support the beer. You can't do that yourself. Fair point. I'm, I also have the potential to be stockier in a way that you don't. You don't think I'm stocky? No. You don't think I'm a stocky fellow? No, you're too tall to be a stocky fellow. No one's going to look Is at Santa you. Santa short? Yes. Look at the Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, he's short in that movie, but is he generally like a short man? It's Santa. It's the Santa Claus. Oh, that's right. It's the... <laughs> it's proven in court. Santa Claus. Yes. It's a legal definition. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Fine. I, listen, I'll take it. I'm not Santa. Thank Who you. Who would you be? I mean, <laughs> Buddy I've the Elf played him at like seven different Christmas Eve parties with my little cousins, but that's cool. I didn't know you played Santa Claus before. Hasn't everybody? You haven't played Santa? Well, no. of course, you're a midget. Could you imagine me playing Santa? I'm an elf. Yeah. I'm an elf, dude. Are you kidding me? You're an angry little elf. I'm an angry elf, yeah. <laughs> He's an angry elf. <laughs> you're closer to Buddy the Elf than I think Santa Claus, though. Definitely. In terms definitely. of my attitude on, uh, <laughs> on the holiday and coffee and... Look at you! Yeah. <laughs> on my daddy issues, all of the above. <laughs> Your daddy, do you relate to James Caan? 100%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, ha- Merry Christmas, Adam. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's the holiday season. We decided... Uh, it's a little obvious of a of a subject but we've never done this before we haven't done it before i mean we've been talking a lot of christmas movies on the other podcast why is this a thing yep and uh now we're we're doing it here six christmas movies one of them getting into the movie hall of fame yeah we're legitimately talking about christmas movies unlike the other podcasts where it's just a farce right the entire time right it's just a big joke we're gonna decide what the best christmas movie of all time is right here right now the best christmas of all time this is the one what about the future christmas podcast there are many christmas movies there are. Many. I have a long list of them. They're right here. <laughs> I suspect this is a recurring theme until we get rid of all of them. <laughs> yeah, we may need to just do this every single year <laughs> until every Christmas movie is in the movie all of it. Exactly. Then it becomes a Christmas podcast. And that's only when you're happy, by the way, if every single Christmas movie is in the movie Hall of Fame, I would imagine. hundred percent. You know me in this time of year. Uh, it's, it's no surprise to anyone how much I love this time of year. You owe me a Halloween podcast where we talk about trick or treat. And we've done trick or treat. I haven't talked with you about trick or treat personally on the podcast time. Did we do that without you? Yes. That was in the pre-Adam era? Yes, it was. Isn't that weird? Very. Mm. Wow. Yeah. No shit. We've never talked trick or treat. Because we both love that movie. Yeah, we do. And I discovered it for Why Is This a Thing? Yeah. I just discovered it randomly, too. I'm like, whoa, this is an incredible Halloween film. Yeah, it is really good. Uh, Six movies nominated for induction into the Movie Hall of Fame today. They are... Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, A Christmas Story, Miracle on 34th Street, and It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. I would say six good movies. You may disagree. Uh, I would also say six good movies, but I have feelings on... Um, I, I don't think – put it this way. I, there are there are multiple films on this list, even ones that I absolutely love that I would not consider perfect movies. Um, but yeah, there is there is one in particular that um, aged funny for me. I have a bit of a history with it, so we'll get to that. Okay. Have you seen anything recently you want to talk about? Mm, 
Did I see anything recently? I kept meaning to... I, I, Not like I ask you this question every week or no, anything. No, have you watched anything recently? Have you been caught off guard by the question? I ask it every single week. I don't know. I watched The Mandalorian. That was it. Okay. And I really liked the episode. I was yeah. happy with the episode. It was fun. Mando is off the chart this year, Fucking dude. right. <laughs> this is a great season. This fat is, Boba. Fat Boba. Yeah, I How love... How about Fat Boba? I love that it people... <laughs> it's it's i feel bad for tamora morrison because he's really good in the in the show i keep saying the movie he's really good in the show as the character but yeah i I had a feeling that the internet was not going to take kindly to that i did i definitely did i appreciated the fact that boba was fat he's lost a step like even clones like sometimes they they get a little carried away yeah he's a he's a non-modified clone he's literally like the clones and the prequels are like set to be a very, very specific way. So they come out identical and, and fucking, you know, buff no matter what you do to them. Whereas like, uh, Boba so you Fett, can't gain weight. They're like, ge- they're genetically altered to the point where it's like, if you say execute order 66, no matter who they're allied with, they're like, okay, let's kill, kill all the Jedi now. Got it. So yeah. But what does this have to do with weight watchers? They, they're not going to gain weight. They're not, they're not going to gain weight. I don't appreciate that. You don't appreciate no, that? No, I don't. You man. want to gain weight? I, I want your clones fat. Bo- I want to relate to Boba Fett on <laughs> some sort of spiritual level when I watch this show. And I, too, relate to the feeling of putting on your armor in the morning and it not quite fitting the way it used to. <laughs> he's not even fat. He's just like, like he's he's George. He's stocky. George before George was fat. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm I'm cool with it. I, I don't know who's complaining about Fat Boba Fett, but I am totally in on it. I'm 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 very much in on it. It's just cool to it's cool to see the character, of course. But yeah, to see him like this is like, oh, you know what? I get you, Boba. Yeah. <laughs> I get you. I want my armor back too. I think a lot of people are way more into this season uh or way more into this episode than than I was. I mean, I think Nick said this was the best episode of the entire show. I, I wouldn't go that far. It's very good. I, I would I yeah. would say the previous episode is still probably the best. I agree. I thought actually the previous two episodes were better than this. I, I like I think every episode this season has just been a, a massive success. I I, I would say you, you like the second episode? I was asking you about that a while back. Uh, the, which the was the second episode? Frog Mother. Yeah, I was cool with it. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't go the third one uh, is is better than this one. This one for me is like top two or three yeah. that I've seen so far. Because that first episode was awesome. So good. Just a great action movie of a, of a show. Yeah. You know, with all the fun. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which is a, such a weird surprise. We talked about that. It's just seeing him pop up. It just always, me, always throws me off balance. Yeah. But in a good way. Do you know who's coming back next episode? Hmm. Who's coming back? Who's coming back? Werner? No. Old Billy Blue Balls. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That's Bill right. Burr that's, that's, back, baby. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, they teased that at the end. That was, yeah. that was great. He bet that that's going to be fun. Could you. <laughs> Billy Blue Balls next to Boba Fett. This is going to be too weird. I don't think I can handle it. <laughs> How much would you bet that Bill Burr has no idea who the hell Boba Fett is? Because <laughs> that's my favorite thing about Bill Burr is for years he made fun of Star Wars, had no idea like what these laser swords were or, you know, who Emperor Palpatine is or any of like the politics of the Imperial Senate. I come in and there's just this fat man with a bucket on his head. What the hell is this shit? <laughs> But now he's cashing Disney's check like everybody else in Hollywood. I love it. No, good for him. He deserves it. Good for him. He I love Bill Burr. I'll always root for the men. Uh, yeah. Also, I, I mentioned this to you on our, our text chain, but my favorite game every week is at the end of the episode. Just 
checking out who directed i <laughs> which like a list hollywood director is responsible for this episode of tv it's it's been weird okay so i i knew while watching the first one that it was directed by john favreau i just knew instinctually i didn't like look it up but i was yeah. like it's got to be john favreau and it was mm-hmm. and then the um um ahsoka tano the scene where she shows up i just knew that it was dave filoni just because she showed up at all yeah clone wars yeah yeah um but yeah, I had no idea that Robert Rodriguez would have found his way to the show. That was like, what? And I think okay. it, it was like, uh, oh, it was it was somebody who dropped out. It was some sort of A-list director who dropped out. Um, it might have been James Mangold. I'm not sure. Oh, but that's why Rodriguez took over. And he actually did like an awesome job with it. It was just classic Rodriguez direction, I thought. Just action direction. But even Carl Weathers did a great job on his episode. I thought that episode was actually, again, one of the better ones. Yeah. It was great. Surprisingly good. Yeah. I don't know if Tyka's coming back to do more. Mm. Um, but he did the last, I think, two episodes of the first season and did a magnificent job with those. Who else is doing this? Let's see. Uh, do they have the list? Yeah. Let's see. Favreau's doing uh, episode <sighs> 16. Uh, last episode, yeah, as you said, was Filoni. Episode before that was Carl Weathers. Um, oh yeah, it was Bryce Dallas Howard that did the third one. Oh yeah, that one was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. None yeah. of them have been duds. No, not, not a single them. one of them. Totally into it. I'm just waiting. I think there's a chance now that we have Rodriguez, we might get a Tarantino directed episode. Would not be shocked. We might get one. Would Could not you? be shocked. How, dude? He did CSI. Why wouldn't he do <laughs> Star Wars? Rodriguez, you can do it. Bring on Tarantino. Do it. <laughs> we know you want to. You ever seen Tarantino's CSI episode? No. It's so good. Here it's weird. It's very weird. Okay. But it's so awesome. <laughs> it's like, how did CBS let this air after Two and a Half Men? You know? It's just crazy. Oh, <laughs> oh it's one of those. It's like, how did this get on network television? Interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So okay. That sounds good. Uh, I watched a couple movies. I am cramming in as many 2020 releases as I possibly can here. How many of them are good? Uh, a couple of them. Okay. A couple of them. Um, I watched a movie called Yes, God, Yes, which is streaming now on Netflix, and uh, it stars the chick from Stranger Things. Okay. The, not the 11 character, but the older one, who's like, you know, like the older sister of the Oh, kid. I know who you're... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and whose name I'm blanking on now. Um, but it is about um, a young girl who goes to Catholic high school who is like sent away to this Catholic retreat with her classmates and the priest and whatnot. And um, she obviously has like a very strict upbringing and she has been warned that sex is this evil thing. And it's sort of this movie about her sexual awakening essentially. And like discovering online porn and like getting a crush on a guy and like um, it's very funny and uh, very clever. And um I liked it. It's a nice little indie romp. It, what's cool about it is it's a period piece because I, I think a lot of this was autobiographical for the director. Again, I should have all these names in front of me, so I'll do that right now. Um, but it's set in the late 90s, early 2000s, and they pay very specific attention to all of those period details. Like the first time that uh, the main character sees a naked person is on an AIM chat room with some random guy. Uh, and at the time she's like playing like this movie scramble game. Like, I, I don't know if you ever played these, but like there would be like a chat room and it would, you know, they would give you like the name of a movie, but it would be scrambled and you had to be the first person to type in what the movie title was. 
uh, and there's a bunch of VHS players and old like dial up connection. And I just thought like for nostalgia shit sake. Oh, yeah. She plays Snake on her Nokia phone. Oh, my God. And then she ends up using the phone as a vibrator later on in the movie. <laughs> it's it's really fun. And it's uh, I thought it had like a nice message. Um, okay. Timothy Simons, who's from Veep is wonderful in it as the priest as sort of like the scumbag priest not natalia dyer is the name of the okay. the, the chick from uh, stranger things and karen main is the director here really enjoyed it 90 minutes it's scant it's brief it's light has some good laughs uh actually not even that an hour 18 minutes is the runtime you got time you got plenty of time for yes god yes i liked it a lot uh may not make my top 10 but uh, you know solid movie uh i saw uh another movie called never rarely sometimes always mm-hmm. which is very heavy and i'm not sure if it's gonna make my top 10 but it might all right and it is about the experience of a young woman i shouldn't say young woman teenage girl 17 who gets pregnant and tries to get an abortion oh. and it's very heavy and it's very dark uh, and there's not a ton of laughs, unlike Yes, God, Yes. Um, but there's a scene in this movie, and that's where the title comes from, Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always, where the main character describes um, an abusive relationship that she's in, which is like the most powerful thing I have seen in a very long time. Uh-huh. It, it's it's a haunting movie in many ways. Uh, it kind of flew under the radar. It came out earlier this year. It was a big indie darling on the festival circuit. Um, I don't know if it's going to get a lot of Oscar love. It's just a very small, small movie, and it's a real downer. Movies about that subject matter are usually a tough watch. You ever seen? I I, I always screw up the title of this. It's four months, three weeks, two days. Yes, right. Have you seen that? I've not, but I've heard that Ugh. this and never, rarely, sometimes, always have a lot of similarities. They do. Yeah. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. That's nothing enjoyable about. It. It's a great movie, but like Jesus Christ, if you just want to have a terrible day, yeah. Um, it's really good. Let me give you actually the name of the director here. Her name is Eliza Hitman, and uh, the main character is played by Sydney Flanagan in her debut role. She has never been in anything before this. Is she good? Magnificent. Cool. She's magnificent. Yeah. It, it's one of those movies where, like, it's a lot of like destroy the patriarchy stuff in the subtext. Like, there's there's not a lot of nuance in terms of how male characters are portrayed yeah. and uh, you know, the relationships between men and women and, and this whole, you know, issue. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I just think like they, they paint with a very broad brush to hammer home a point. And the point is hammered home, but I feel like they could have toned it down a little bit. Like not every man had to be a creep in this movie. Uh, oh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I like there's that, a scene but... where like a dude in a suit starts jerking off to the main character on a subway. And it's not like even a homeless person. It's like just a dude from Wall Street is just, you know what I mean? Like they portray New York City in a very um, skeezy and uh, an uncomfortable way. And I'm sure a lot of that is true. And it's not to say that, like, listen, I know women who have told me that people have jerked off to them on the subway. That's a thing that I have heard. It's definitely a thing that happens. Um, it might have been a little too much, though. Still a great movie, though. I will okay. say that. All right, all right. And I think it might make my top 10 list. We'll see. And that's it. Oh, that's it. That's it. Okay. So there we go. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> Might be worth checking out that second one if I, you're trying to fill out your top 10, though. Okay, okay. Yeah, I've been meaning to, like, sit down and start watching Small Axe finally, you know? Yeah. 
yeah, I just I've been losing track of time. I've been busy working on my own projects. So yeah, oh, you're too busy making movies to watch movies. That's what I was doing last night. Is that what's going on? What oh. are you working on? I'm working on a, a horror film. This is the, the kid who we talked off pot about a, a, a person who showed me a terrible video. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is the, the actor. It's called Exposition for a Murder. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, Oscar winner, Exposition for a Murder. Don't forget. It's the name of Adam's short film. <laughs> but yeah. Um, uh, yeah, he's, he's the actor in, in the movie, and we were working on that late last night. And I'll relay this bag it'll relate to one of the movies we're going to talk about later on so okay yeah. great a little let's horror movie it. so let's get to it uh all right we have to set some ground rules here this is a very important conversation to have what the definition of a christmas movie yeah we got to do it yeah i know we have to define it and i'm curious to what your definition is because i think mine's a little more specific than yours oh boy i mean there's an element of every Christmas movie that has to do with, I guess, a, a level of the spirit. I mean, some people are very specific about that. We know Zach is very, very specific about that. Certainly, I don't really know how I fully uh, define a Christmas movie. It's more about just a feeling, I guess. You know, you know, where some people watch Die Hard and they might not see it as a Christmas movie. There's something about the incorporation of the the themes of the movie. But also the 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 tone and the style and the music and even some of the aesthetic. Yes, it just to to me anyway. I guess one of the foundations of that movie, everything for its existence, revolves around Christmas. Sure. So that to me almost is enough. But they do go the extra mile to you know giving it some of the aesthetic and the feel. So right. No, I, I think actually you just captured everything that I, I was going to say about. Oh, it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, so. This is an interesting question, right? Um, yeah. I, I thought this is actually a pretty good distillation. This is from Justin Charity of The Ringer. He he wrote an article about what defines a Christmas movie, and he has three very specific subsections. And I think if you think about it this way, it's a lot easier. Rather than just saying yes or no, is this a Christmas movie? I think there are tiers. And I think like you can say that something is more of a Christmas movie or less of a Christmas movie. It's a spectrum. Adam, it's a spectrum, right? Let me tell you why Jaws is a Christmas movie. Yeah. Let me just break this down. So this is how Justin Charity defines it. Uh, he puts movies in three different categories. The first is movies about Christmas. It's the most popular sort of Christmas movie. The classification suggests that it's not enough for a story to be set during the December holiday. It also needs to be specifically concerned with Christmas as a religious or commercial holiday with significant practical implications to the characters and plot. So in other words, the plot is set in motion because Christmas is happening. Mm -hmm. Home Alone is a Christmas movie because his family travels because of Christmas. Yep. That's why Kevin is left home alone. It's not that he's left home alone in the middle of July because yeah. you know, they're going for Fourth of July barbecue. They're mm -hmm. going to go to Coney Island to see Nathan's famous hot dog eating content. <laughs> you know, so it is concerned with Christmas and also thematically, as you said, there is something about either the commercialism family. or the importance of family or the importance of coming home or the importance of a reunion or even just like the reflection of the previous year, mm -hmm. you know, the, the importance of giving, the importance of generosity, etc. cetera. Um, then you have category B movies set during Christmas time, though not necessarily concerned with the holiday as a matter of importance. This is, I think, where you and I differ a little bit just because Christmas is a backdrop I wouldn't necessarily call it a Christmas movie. And yeah. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I no, I mean, the perfect example is Krampus. Yeah. I, I, that is, takes place on Christmas. All right. 
Uh, certainly everything about the plot and the, the aesthetic, everything, well, not quite the aesthetic, but everything about like why things are happening in that movie is specifically because of Christmas. Sure. Literally it's about Krampus. Yeah. Um, but that's a Halloween movie. Sure. Spiritually it is. More so it's a Halloween film. I see what you mean. Yeah. Just because it's horrifying. Certainly. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, I don't know. That's some people would probably, you know, get back at me for this. I just, I don't know. I don't see Christmas as a horrifying thing. Uh, and it's hard. It's hard for even when you're. Some people do. I don't either. But. <laughs> Not like that though. <laughs> yeah. Like, but but then but then you gotta look at like something like Gremlins. But there is something about Gremlins that is closer. It's sort of right on the line of Halloween, Christmas. I don't know where that falls for me. Nightmare Before Christmas. What's that? That's more Christmas. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I'm thinking more about movies like Batman Returns, Trading Places. Mm. Um, Carol is another example listed here. I haven't seen Carol, but evidently these are movies that just happen to take place during Christmas time and have that aesthetic. You know, maybe there are, are Christmas lights in the background or the occasional Bing Crosby tune. But I don't know. I, I do think like the aesthetics or the visual motifs, quote unquote, are not enough. I do think like yeah. there needs to be an element of your plot or theme concerned with the holiday. Yeah. Which is why before this, we were talking about kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Right. It's almost not enough for me. I mm. mean, again, it takes place on Christmas. There is, there are many, many Christmas, uh, uh, decorations and outfits and a lot of conversations surrounding the holidays, but something about that movie and even what it's getting at under the surface doesn't always point to Christmas for me. Right. I'll give you some more. L.A. Confidential. Yeah. Yeah. Good example. Same thing. Could have taken place anytime. Um, is The Apartment a Christmas movie? Maybe. Right? Maybe. Most of it takes place around the holidays. But again, that's another film where like, it's about people coming together and you know, sort of making a miracle out of themselves. So, Might be. Yeah, might be. Might be a Christmas movie. By the way, N- Nightmare Before Christmas is also on the line now that I think about it. Right. Because I do watch it on Halloween <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> Eyes wide shut. <laughs> no. Not at all? <laughs> no. None of it? No. It's about a family falling apart? <laughs> yep, exactly. The last line of that movie is, fuck, <laughs> it's not a Christmas movie. <laughs> uh, mentioned Trading Places. The Ref is another one of these. Uh, Gremlins, as you said, right on the line. Right on the line. You know, mystical has fantastical elements. None of them Christmas related, though. You know what I mean? Those gremlins, I don't think of as Christmas characters. Do you? No, I think of uh, uh, Gizmo more of a, of a as a Christmas character, I suppose. But there is an element of that movie about the importance of giving and the importance of, you know, maybe being too generous. That movie spins it a little bit where it's like maybe giving someone something that they don't need. It could be a bad thing, you know? Right. So, uh Iron Man 3 and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. We're going to talk about Shane Black in just yeah. a moment. Don't worry about that. Edward Scissorhands. That one's pretty Christmassy. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Carol, as I said, have you seen Tangerine? Not yet. Okay. Have you? Uh, no. Hmm. Um, oh, here's one. Little Women. Ooh. Hmm. I, there are parts of that movie that make me think it's a Christmas movie, but then there are other parts, the other half of the movie that are very much not a Christmas movie, in my opinion. In Pardon? Bruges, is that a Christmas movie? Takes place during Christmas time. Really is not concerned with the holiday, though. Mm. Actually, kind of is, though, mm. in the last act. That's what I'm saying. You like, know, a major plot point revolves whole, around Christmas iconography, doesn't it? It's all about it? a guy looking for forgiveness. 
Man, we're really stretching this definition. It might be a Christmas movie. It Rambo! Might... Is Rambo a Christmas movie? Well, of course it is. Let's move on. It takes place during Christmas. <laughs> it's a cri- of course. It, it, why are you even asking me this question? Here's the third category <laughs> that Justin Charity writes. This is very liberal here. Movies especially popular with viewers during Christmas time. And I think a lot of movies have been adopted under this umbrella. Most liberal classification includes categories A and B holds that any movie that experiences a popular surge in private viewing during the holiday season, regardless of story or setting counts as a Christmas movie. Like, like Forrest Gump? Hunt for Red October is one. What? Harry Potter movies, all the Harry oh, Potters. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, yeah, that makes Although sense. there are scenes in the Harry Potter movies that happen during Christmas. Yeah, but those aren't Christmas movies. Sound of Music is another example. Harry Potter I get. Okay, that makes that makes more sense. I would also add to this list as a fourth category, movies that have significant scenes set during Christmas, although are not Christmas movies. Goodfellas, Toy Story, Full Metal Jacket, <laughs> you know? Sure. If you want to be very, very liberal about it. But I think actually we're sort of on the same page here. But again, like you can attribute some of the the ideas of what makes a Christmas movie a Christmas movie to something like not the later Harry Potter films, but certainly the first two. Yeah. Those ones feel closer to something like Home Alone. I mean, obviously, because of the director as well. But there's just something about the attitude and the tone of those movies that's more in line with Christmas movies than the later films. Yeah. So I get that. Yeah. Look, I think some people are very strict. Like People like Zach are very strict about this definition. The plot has to revolve around Christmas entirely. It would help if Christmas was in the title of the movie. <laughs> And it has to involve some sort of iconography, whether that be a supernatural character like Santa Claus or just sort of the tradition of a Christmas tree. Something like a Christmas story, for example, fits all of those definitions. Um, And I think others are a little more loosey goosey. They're like, yeah, if it's set during Christmas time, it's a Christmas movie. I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle, though. I do understand and sympathize with Zach's point of view where it's like he just wants to cut out the bullshit of exactly these kinds of conversations. Sure. I just want a fucking Christmas movie. You know, I get that. Yeah. I get that entirely. But that's not what we do here. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, But but you you have to understand it's like there's nothing worse than it's like I thought you wanted to watch a Christmas movie. Oh, it's Die Hard. Come on. It's like no. No. That's not a Christmas movie. You know. We're we're watching some Kubrick. (laughs) Eyes wide shut action. That would piss everybody off in the room. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. A hundred percent. Here are some honorable mentions for you though that I think do fit that Mm -hmm. first category. Uh, two Bing Crosby movies, White Christmas and yeah. Holiday Inn, two Christmas classics. Christmas in Connecticut, also one of those older films that I have not seen, but I hear is wonderful. Got to go back, watch some of those old Christmas movies. Mm. I don't know much about Connecticut, so I'm not interested. Yeah, I might not recognize uh, <laughs> the geography there. Uh, a number of Christmas carols. Tell me what your favorite Christmas carol is. I'll give you four options. 1951's A Christmas Carol. Disney's Mickey's Christmas Carol. The Muppet Christmas Carol, and Scrooge starring Bill Murray. What's your favorite? You forgot uh, A Christmas Carol, the animated Zemeckis one. Oh, my God, with Jim Carrey. Uh I forgot that thing existed. Uh I never saw it. Did you see it? No. Great point, though. What's your favorite? (laughs) Would it shock you to know that I have only seen half of Scrooge and none of the other ones? What? I've never seen a single Christmas story movie. <laughs> what? Do you know the plot of a Christmas? Oh yeah, tale? yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course I do. But you know, it's you know, it's you know, the old Dickens tale, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I know it pretty well. It's just I've never seen any of the movies. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, never seen the movies. 
By the way, the correct answer is Mickey's Christmas Carol. <laughs> not the Muppets? For the record. I, you know me. I love the Muppets. Not the Muppets. I love the Muppets. Okay, that says something very bad about that movie. It's just not that good. Oh, it's great. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's great. Now, Michael Caine's awesome in it. It's, all, it's a great movie. But Scrooge McDuck, baby. Okay. Love me some Scrooge McDuck. Uh, yeah, the other day, <laughs> my sister's watching The Voice in the living room, and I walk in, and uh, there was like this 15-year-old boy singing Rainbow Connection. <laughs> Oh, I'm telling you, I almost broke down to the tears. Like oh. that song is so amazing. Oh my God. Fucking love the Muppets, dude. <laughs> he was singing Rainbow Connect. Okay. Okay. Whatever. It's a great song. It is a great song. Do you song. dispute that? No, I don't dispute that at all. It's okay. my favorite song, in fact. Yeah. 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 I like it more than. It's a great answer. Yeah. It's a better, it's a better song than all of the collective songs off of Nevermind. Elf is a Christmas movie. Yes, no it doubt. is. And a holiday yeah. classic. Would you call that the last holiday classic? Uh, no, last Christmas. Good answer. Have you seen Klaus yet? No. <laughs> really good. No, yeah. Worth a watch this holiday. Klaus. Klaus. It's spelled Claus, but it's pronounced Klaus. Okay. Netflix movie animated. Norm MacDonald is wonderful in it, as he Norm- is in most things. Oh, my God. Okay. I've been, I, I saw that trailer for Fat Man. That's what I want to see. Okay. Mel, Mel Gibson as a, as a homicidal, I think, Santa Claus. Seems that way. Sounds great. Listen, you can watch that on your, on your, uh, on your Christmas Eve, or you can check out Klaus. I, Klaus looked like a disposable Netflix movie, like in the trailer. And when I saw that it got nominated for an Oscar, that's when I ended up checking it out. But it's really good. Right. It's shockingly good. It's better than it has any business being. Okay. Uh, the Grinch. Ron Howard's The Grinch. I have a soft spot for it. I don't uh, dislike the movie at all. I, I guess I kind of have a nostalgia for it as well. It's just, you know, I another one of those movies I watched later on. I'm like, yeah, maybe maybe I'm a little over it. Love Actually is a movie that you have a bad opinion on. <laughs> I have a, the right opinion on, actually. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Not a big vacation fan. Oh, yeah. Guess what? Never seen it. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> a big Griswold guy. I don't know. Yeah, I, I like the first one enough. It's fine. Might be my favorite vacation, though. Christmas vacation. Mm. Jingle all the way. We'll be talking about next week on another yeah, podcast. <laughs> the Santa Claus is uh, a franchise near and dear to our hearts. You were not on those either, though, were you? Yeah, I. I mean, I probably could have been though because I, I've I haven't seen the first one in years, years and years. The second one, I, I I do remember quite well though, and you know, having having some fond memories of it. If you're looking for one of my favorite podcasts that I ever did. Uh, go back in the archives, Santathon on why is this a thing? It was three hours long and we talked about the entire Santa Claus franchise. <laughs> good for you guys. And it was wonderful. Yeah. You like bad Santa? Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I do. So good. Yeah. Uh, and then you have a bunch of uh, Christmas horror movies. Uh, I'm not sure how many of these you've seen. 1974's Black Christmas. I haven't seen it. Krampus, of course, we just talked about. And Rare Exports. Uh, I hear people like Okay. I hear people like that rare exports. All right. Still need to see it as well. There you go. Not bad. It's the holiday season. Oh, so many movies. Doobie dooby doo. <laughs> Let's start with this one. Okay. Suck brick, kid! Home Alone 2, oh, Lost God. in New York. You don't make it any easy for me. I need quotes. <laughs> I need... Suck brick, kid! <laughs> Do you know there's a punk band named Suck Brick Kid? <laughs> I was searching me. for the clip. Maybe let me see if I can that pull them up. That is great. 
Oh, I would love to hear what they've Because I was searching for the clip, so I Googled Suck Brick Kid. I love it so much when I find bands that are just quoting movies with their names. Uh, here's, here's a little Suck Brick Kid for you. <laughs> Let me see if it'll play. Oh, no, it's now it's frozen. Wait. No. Come on, Suck Brick Kid. They have 395 monthly listeners on Spotify. This might be their biggest plug. Like we make double their audience with this podcast. Wow. Go listen to Suck Brick Kid. Oh, I got to find one of their songs here. They're, they're here we go. I can't you. I can't get back, but I can get even. Wasted on you. Not really my genre. Are you into this? This isn't classic punk. This is more like pop punk. Yeah. Sleep with one eye open. It's okay. Suck brick kid. It's very derivative, but you know, sorry, sorry, suck brick kid. Suck brick kid. <laughs> Directed by Christopher Columbus, written by John Hughes. Funny story about John Hughes here. Actually, oh, funny story about Christopher Columbus. So uh, Columbus talks about during filming, he was on 140th Street in Harlem, and it was three in the morning, and he was walking to get a cup of coffee as he was shooting the movie. These two kids come up to me and they said, quote, what's the name of the movie that you're filming? And he said, Home Alone 2. And they said, what do you do? And I said, I'm the director. And they said, oh, you're John Hughes. Oh, (laughs) kind of feel bad for Chris Columbus. Like, I I feel like John Hughes is sort of taking credit for his work here. I don't know. I've always thought of them as Chris Columbus movies personally when I was growing up. But it wasn't until later that I figured out that most people view them as John Hughes films. Mm. So. Starring Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, Catherine O'Hara, John Hurd, Tim Curry, and the President of the United States, That's Donald right. Trump. <laughs> down, down the left and grab him by the pussy. <laughs> One year after Kevin McAllister was left home alone and had to defeat a pair of bumbling burglars, he accidentally finds himself stranded in New York City. And the same criminals are not <laughs> far behind. Eight million people in that entire fucking city. Yep. And somehow. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a it's a there, there are some logistical leaps that you have to make in order to, un- to enjoy this movie, I think. Logistical leaps, some I, I would say physiological leaps as well. Yeah, suspending ter- some disbelief, you know, in terms of how much brute force a human being can take. <laughs> yeah. There's also that. What a brick will do to a what human a br- skull. Yeah. yeah. Suck kid! <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Yes. He, uh, I don't have that much to say about this. I'm sure you don't, but you know, you can go. I only nominated this because I kind of have a little rant that I want to go on. And this is my opportunity to get on the soapbox. Yeah, I know. I so, know. I have long believed, and this has actually like been a pillar of my personality. <laughs> like I consider this to be like a very like a, a a foundational part of who I am as a person. <laughs> is I believe that Home Alone Two is better than Home Alone One. Why? Now, where do you stand on the subject? Is this even a debate that people have? I'm not even sure. Let me put it this way: it's not it's not a debate that people have. Um, is it a debate that losers have? Yes. Okay. I I would say it's one of those takes. This this is why I'm I kind of have an eyebrow raised at you. Is that I think it's not. It's the it's one of those takes where it's like I think most people would say the first one is better. Mm-hmm. 
But if they heard someone say the second one's better, I think the most you would get out of certainly the most you get out of me is yeah, okay, right. right. Yeah, I get it. And, and listen, I also understand that <laughs> you're right. It's not as hot a take as I'd like to believe it yeah. is. But it's also I, I am I am uh, forcing an issue that has never been an issue. Yeah, it's, because most people consider both of these movies to be exactly the same. Yes, because they are exactly the same. Right. <laughs> it just comes down to which location you like more, I guess. Which one is more near and dear to you? Mm. There's not. I don't think there's much of an argument for either side in this case. Sure. I, the only thing, like I would say, is that it you know, obviously this one owes you know too much of its identity that to that first movie which has probably been said a thousand fucking times before mm-hmm. and that it's incredibly derivative of that first movie and that it is beat for beat the same exact movie it just takes place in new york and donald trump shows up haha sure uh <laughs> there weren't as many hahas back then as there are now <laughs> very true <laughs> um, yeah yeah so Okay. Well, obviously, the president of the United States is in this movie, so that makes it better, I think. But I, I'm also assuming you. <laughs> yes, I'm also assuming your history with this film is that you saw the first one and then you saw the second one. Yeah, sure. As obviously. was most people. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know. I, I mean, yeah, I guess so. Okay. I like. I, I couldn't tell you when I saw this movie for the first time, just because it's always been a part of my life. I can tell you. Yeah. In my case, I saw this one first. Oh, word! And then I saw the first, the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I happen to like the first one more. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So let me set up the hypothetical straw man here. Because okay. again, this is not an actual person I'm arguing with. But let me... <laughs> I'll make the argument for the other side. Um, the first movie is much more simple. It's much more stripped down. It is rooted in a fear that is much more real for 10-year-old kids. Yep. Um, because it is exactly as the title implies. He is home alone. And that for a 10 year old is both an exciting and terrifying proposition. And Chris Columbus and John Hughes are able to mine a lot of comedy and a lot of truth out of something that is very basic and simple. And they are, and that is, you know, great filmmaking. And it's also John Hughes filmmaking. Like he has a way of taking real life and making it the most high stakes thing in the world. Um, and that's what that first movie does. I, I don't think the fear of being lost in New York city is as real for kids as the fear of being left home alone, because I don't think a child can even comprehend that fear of being lost in New York city. And also like that idea is, I mean like adults are afraid of New York city. Sure. You know, like adults are afraid of being in central park too late at night. But here's another funny thing is that I do have this fear, or at least I did when I was a kid. Cause I did get lost in New York as a kid once. Oh wow. My, fer- my parents somehow found me. Wow. I don't know how they found, maybe it was the color of my jacket or something, but I was lost for like a good 10 minutes walking around some crowded place and they, they finally ran into me. Oh, that's crazy. And it always scared the shit out of me. Okay. So stuff like that. Again, like, like kind of relating to this movie when I first saw it, it was like, Ooh yeah, that would freak me out. Right. So I so, get that. Yeah. I, I do think like just on a premise level, the plot is a little more simple. Like this is a very muddled plot. A lot of stuff happens in this movie and there are a lot of supporting characters. And I can see someone saying like, you know, there is something lost in just the, the, uh, the simple beauty of that first movie. And fair enough. Also, it doesn't have John Candy. No. And you lose a lot of pathos when you don't have John Candy in your movie. And that's another thing that I do come back to, too, is like the, the level of heart. Just in the existence of the first movie versus this movie, kind of like almost on principle makes me like the first movie more. Uh-huh. But I also just think those scenes of of, of humanity are, are a little more sincere in that first movie right. than just, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry the 
Central Park doesn't like you, Pigeon Lady, you know? Sure. Well, I'll get to the Pigeon Lady in a second. Here's the thing that, th- that this movie does have. It has Tim Curry. And that's a big deal because yes. Tim Curry's great in this movie. Yes, Rob is. Schneider's also in this movie. And he's great. <laughs> I guess. So, like, there are a lot of great supporting characters here that I think the sum of the whole, I, or the sum of the parts equal the whole that is John Candy. You need to. <laughs> How about that? You need to replay that sentence. <laughs> It's got Tim Curry. It's I, I, I'm cutting out Tim Curry. It's got Rob Schneider. Lots of great supporting characters. <laughs> Not a great argument, Nico. It's got Donald Trump. <laughs> the president of the United States is in this movie. This is a good point. This is the best point you've made. <laughs> and here's the other thing. I want to make a point about the pigeon lady because you, you, okay. you threw some shade at my girl, Brenda Fricker. Yeah, I know. All right. She's good in the movie. She's good in the movie. Great in the yeah. movie. So she is essentially the shovel guy from the first movie. Like, <laughs> yes, there, there's a lot the of parallels. Shovel guy. <laughs> who, what do you call him? Who are you in Home Alone? The shovel guy. Yeah, the, sh- the shovel guy. <laughs> do with the shovel. Yeah. So, all right. I, I think the shovel guy is one of the weaker parts of that first movie. I think like that's just a character that. Like, I didn't know an old man that lived down the street with a shovel. Like, I was never terrified of my neighbor in the way that Macaulay Culkin is terrified of his neighbor in that first movie. And he's just a dude with a shovel. Like, I I think, like, Buzz, his older brother, makes up this story about how, like, he buries bodies or he he breaks them down into salt to be be used to clear the sidewalks. And, like, I I think the, the pigeon woman... She's actually a real person. She's homeless, right? Yeah. And and it and it's commenting on our fears of homeless people and also how like we ignore homeless people. And like there's that awesome scene at Carnegie Hall when they're in the attic. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know, like I, I prefer that character who actually comments on a real issue rather than just a dude with a shovel who plays no part in the movie until the final five minutes where he saves the day. No, but he's got... Deus Ex Shovel. He's got family issues. He's got a daughter that doesn't want to speak to him. He's alone. He's much like Kevin, you know? Yeah, I get it. It is developed a little bit better at Home Alone too. Yeah, I understand that. No, I just think, like, there's... Whatever pathos you're losing from John Candy, you're gaining it here with Brenda Fricker. I think she's really good in the movie. Is it that much more? Is it that much more? I think so. Okay. I think so. And then you have this idea of the location, right? Think about how many New York landmarks are not only like featured in this movie, but like are the focus of the camera in this movie. Like this is this is New York porn right here. Plaza Hotel, Central Park, World Trade Center, Rockefeller Center, FAO Schwartz, Carnegie Hall. Like maybe it's just my nostalgia and watching this as a kid, this was my first exposure to a lot of these mm. landmarks. But when I went to New York City the first time, I don't know, maybe I was eight years old, seven years old, I recognized these landmarks from Home Alone, and it, it made them so much more special to me. Like, it, it gave me a true appreciation for, um, you know, what FAO Schwartz was supposed to mean, mm-hmm. you know, what Rockefeller Center means to the country, what it means to this time of year. Um, and this is such a cliche, and I hate it when reviewers say this. But New York's a character in this movie. Well, yeah, I no, and I agree with that. I, <laughs> you hate it when I say that. I hate it just as much as I hate it when you say it. Hate it. 
But you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. And one thing I do have to attribute to this film is that it does sort of form again my first understanding of new york and it didn't disappoint when i first saw new york city to this day i do attribute some of my feelings towards the city and some of my imagination towards what it is to this movie 100 percent. every time i go off it's sort of every every time i go over there it does sort of pay off in my head that you know this does kind of remind me of home alone too in a way 100 percent. like modern uh new york vibe and i don't know what that is but it's there yeah this movie just has such a sense of place in the way that the first movie, I mean, that movie's set in Chicago, but you wouldn't consider that a Chicago movie. No, no, it's, but that's not really the point. I don't, I don't, I don't think anybody's thinking of it as a Chicago film, but that's not to say, I think the home and home alone does not have a sense of place or, yeah. or semblance of re- relatability. Fair enough. You know, the grounded nature of that, you know, fair enough. And it's a cozier. This is the thing that I come back to is that the first one is such a cozy film for me in mm-hmm. a way that this one is not. See, I kind of disagree with you. Mm. And I understand well, because of the hotel. Mean. No, I, I'm just very comforted by these places in New York City. Oh. I really am. Like I, I, I think of them now every time I go there. Like I think of them as like this familiar place with, <laughs> with childhood memories associated. Just because I watched this movie. Oh, but New York is not a cozy place whatsoever. That's an anxiety driven place that birthed Woody Allen. Come on, man. Hundred percent. It's not, a, which is why I find it very. Comforting. Yeah. Well, that's you. That's <laughs> that's me. No, I understand. That's not, I'm a nut job. That's I not, get it. That's I get not it. Seven billion people would be like, it's a no, little. I'm the guy that when I I drive my buddies to New York and like we almost get into three fender benders <laughs> like, back to back. Yeah. I'm like, guys, I'm home. <laughs> like I've been wasting my time in the suburban back roads. Yeah. When I should be like getting into collisions on Fifth Avenue. I get that. And I don't even disagree. That's with me. There's certain, no. And I think it's a tremendous amount of fun, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, like when I'm when I'm thinking of like a like a nice let's sit down, watch a Christmas movie. I do like this movie. I, obviously, I think I've expressed it well enough. I really like this movie. But, you know, it's not the same like warm, fuzzy, cozy curl up in a blanket and sit by the fireplace movie as the first one is, in my opinion. Fair enough. I hate that I'm talking about the first movie. I should only be talking about this movie. No, this but, is all I really wanted to say about this. No, here's and here's the final point, and and maybe this will sort of speak to you in a way that my other points did not. This to me is very similar from the leap that Gremlins to Gremlins Two made. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and you've often said that Gremlins Two is your favorite Gremlins movie because. And by the way, Christopher Columbus wrote that first movie. I don't think he wrote the second one. I don't think he did either. Yeah, I think it was just Joe Dante's thing with another screenwriter. Yeah. Um, but that leap that that second movie makes um, is just how you make a sequel. That is just the natural progression. Um, in many ways, it's the same movie, but in so many ways, it's not. Like, how do you make the stakes even bigger? How do you make the violence even more graphic? How do you make the jokes even funnier and more absurd? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think some people... Um, loathe this movie for those very reasons like you're just replaying the second movie but with unrealistic stakes and too many characters and too much violence to the point where it no longer becomes funny i just frankly disagree i find this movie even more funny than the the first one just because of again like suck brick kid (laughs) and my favorite line which we'll get to in a second but I wanted to say the final line. I guess I know what you're going to say. Yeah. God damn it. Should I save it? I'll save it. Yeah, save it. Okay. Yeah. Because we're thinking of the same thing. That was the quote I wanted to end with. Hmm. Yeah, you can have it. Okay. I'll let you have it. Okay. But I do have it pulled here. I know you do. I want to press the button, but I won't. Okay. Do people know like our love of that quote? It's such a good line. That line 
almost makes this movie funnier than the first. Almost. And I don't know why it's so funny. <laughs> but my God, it's brilliant. It's quite a tease. Uh, oh, here's another line that I wanted to play. Sonny! Yes! Nothing would thrill me more greatly than to shoot you. <laughs> Pesci's unbelievable in this movie. He's always great, man. He's so good. Oh, yeah. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, and I don't. I, it's it's hard to combat that. Like what you find funnier is you know entirely subjective to you. Personal taste. I, I don't really know which is funnier. They're very very close for me. So you know. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of reasons, I guess, why I would side with the first one. But I, you know, there's also lots of reasons why someone si- would side with the the second one. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's not like, to me, it's not much of a debate. But you know, it sort of is what it is. If you like the second one, good for you. Okay. Um, Man, I really do want to explain the backstory to the other quote, but I, I will I will let you have it at the end, and then maybe we'll explain it. You don't want to explain the backstory? Um, no, we'll save it to the end. All right. <laughs> it's called a tease in the radio business. Ah, okay. It's okay. called a tease. Let's tease him. Uh, all right, Die Hard is next. Yeah. Directed by John McTiernan, nominated for Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Sound Effects, and Best Visual Effects at the Academy Awards. Starring Bruce Willis, Bonnie Badilla, Reginald Vell Johnson, and Alan Rickman in his cinematic debut. Mm. An NYPD officer tries to save his wife and others taken hostage by German terrorists during a Christmas party at the Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. Just talked about this movie when we did Class of 1988. For some reason, we put Akira in the Movie Hall of Fame over this. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I know you are. It was your decision. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I don't think there's really much more to say about this as a movie, but I do want to explain definitively why this is a Christmas movie. We've taught. Like, okay. We're only talking about this in reference to Zach. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it is actually kind of strange that he is as like, like staunch on this as he is and how he's just so stubborn to accept the facts. Yeah. I don't know. I don't <laughs> I think there's plenty of evidence. That's what I was like. Am I wrong? No, I have two pages of it. Okay. Right thank you. <laughs> um, okay. Let's just do this. Do your thing. Is this even like a debate anymore? No. Do people this, argue this? That's the other point. This is the, mo- the, the most fascinating thing about Can we movie, move on to another Christmas movie? Can we, like, can we debate another Christmas movie's merits? Because I think this issue is settled. We'll, we'll start debating Die Hard 2 now. Let's yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, the, the funniest thing about the, this movie's legacy, apart from the fact that it's now like one of the greatest action films ever made, is that like most people, it's like a Christmas staple for them. Right. I, I, I think, right? Most people that I've talked to, film Twitter seems to agree with me. I don't know. It's a Christmas movie. <laughs> All right. Here, here's the... I, let me just again debate a straw man, an imaginary uh, okay. straw man. Many people say this movie isn't about Christmas. Well, what is about Christmas? Does Jesus have to be involved? <laughs> Does Santa have to be involved? Does the holiday itself have to be involved? Where do you draw that line? This is a movie about a guy that returns home to reunite with his estranged wife on Christmas during a, at Christmas, a Christmas party. party. Yes. He's only home because of Christmas. Yes. He didn't make this gesture in March. No. You don't make this gesture for St. Patrick's Day. No. You know, we talk about Christmas reunions. We talk about the importance of family this specific time. Now, is it a worthwhile endeavor to reunite with your estranged wife any time of the year? Of Of course it is. But Christmas time, that's when everybody gets the butterflies in their stomach and they... 
they they travel home and they make the grand gestures because Christmas family is what counts. <laughs> but here's the thing, and this is this is where like you have to start to understand the mindset of those behind the scenes is that uh, a writer or a director could have you know situated the story at any time of the year, but they heard the idea and they're like, oh, that works very very well for a Christmas setting. Sure. That says a lot about what they think about this movie and sort of the motivation behind why it's set during Christmas. A hundred percent. Thematically, you hit the nail right on the head there. Like, I think like you could get even more in the weeds of the thematics here beyond just the idea of reuniting with your, your family. You can also talk about like John McClane as a Christ figure. You can talk about Hans as sort of like an Ebenezer Scrooge figure. Yeah. Um, if you really wanted to, if you really wanted to stretch it. Um, but you know, in many ways, this is about a guy saving Christmas. Mm-hmm. And that has been a subject for centuries and centuries around this particular genre. Um, takes place on Christmas Eve, as you said, at a Christmas party. The Christmas uh, iconography and visual motif is certainly there. You know, I have a machine gun now. Ho, ho, ho. Like that. Come that, on. That's the thing. They interweave the action with these l- little like nods to the Christmas spirit. <laughs> right. And, and then the music by Michael Kamen. Um, is is you know the, he's constantly using the jingle bells like like even in scenes of of, of suspense you know like n- none of the, if ever there were a chance for them to let up on just that vibe they never really do it mm-hmm. yeah hundred percent um, John McClane straps um, the gun to his back with like Christmas ribbon like yeah. there's so much in here that like. Okay, maybe it is it is a uh, sort of a surface level aesthetic reference. It's not necessarily baked into the plot, but I do think like at a certain point, if there's enough visual stuff there, and that visual stuff weaves into the plot as thin as that weave may be, I, I do think like they add up, and you have something that feels very Christmassy. I agree. Right? Yeah. Uh, some people say, "Oh, Die Hard was released on July 14th. It's a summer movie, summer blockbuster." So you know what? what other movie was released in the summertime? May 2nd, as a matter of fact. What? Miracle on 34th Street. Oh. Released in the summertime. Oh, interesting. Christmas movies come out all year round. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. The music, as we just said, Christmas and Hollis is p- played in this movie. Let It Snow is played in this movie. Winter Wonderland's played in this movie. Joyful Joyful's played in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's a Christmas movie, guys. It's a Christmas movie. Even the book that it's based on, Nothing Lasts Forever, which is from 1979. People that have read the book actually say it's more Christmassy than the movie. Really? Yeah. John Leland, a hard-boiled New York cop, this is the plot of the book, whose wife is dead at the start of the book, arrives in Los Angeles to visit his daughter on Christmas Eve. Broken by the job, he now looks back on the holidays with regret. The film is less grim, but Christmas is still a vehicle to get a New York cop to Los Angeles. Um... In the movie co-written by Jeb Stuart, McClane visits California to see his two children during the holiday and win back the affection of his wife, Holly. The, the wife's That's name is Holly. But Hans Gruber, the head terrorist and heist man played by Alan Rickman, still needs a scenario to exploit lax holiday security in a nearly empty office building. You ever thought about that? They're only hijacking the building because it's Christmas Eve. There's less security. <laughs> This, but this is what you're talking about. Christmas is interwoven into the DNA of every facet of the movie. Yes. Which is like, I, I understand where they're coming from. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, no, I, I, I get it. But at a certain point, you know, I, I don't know. I think you just need to be honest with yourselves. I, I think too often I, people think of 
Christmas movie as its own genre rather mm-hmm. than thinking of it as a theme that can be applied to different genres. No, and this is what it, it goes back to what we were talking about uh, at the beginning with how you categorize these things. There are many different definitions for a Christmas movie, in my opinion. Right. So that's that. That's all. That that's my entire argument. Have I made the case? We, we've litigated that now on two podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great movie. It's a great action movie. But hey, it's also a great Christmas movie. Yeah. What do you want? What do you want? Yeah, I, I, I do. At this point in my life, uh, I do get frustrated by those who who really argue against this. You know what, people? (laughs) You're not allowed to have that opinion. (laughs) The defense rests. Yes. (laughs) The defense rests. Come on. Lethal Weapon is next. Mm -hmm. 1987's Lethal Weapon, directed by Richard Donner, written by Shane Black, starring Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, and Gary Busey. Nominated for Best Sound at the Academy Awards, two newly paired cops are complete opposites. Uh, who are complete opposites must put aside their differences in order to catch a gang of drug smugglers. We talked about Shane Black's obsession with the holiday season. Yep. He's made now four movies that revolve around the holidays. This one he just wrote, but he also wrote and directed Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man Three, and The Nice Guys. And The Predator takes place on Halloween. Good point. What a terrible movie. No, best movie. It's the best of his filmography. What are you talking about? I'll read a quote from an interview that Shane Black did with Entertainment Weekly. When they asked him why Christmas is such a common theme, he goes, it tends to be a touchstone for me. Christmas represents a little uh, stutter in the march of days, a hush in which we have a chance to assess and retrospect our lives. I tend to think also that it just informs as a backdrop. The first time I noticed it was Three Days of the Condor, the Cindy Pollock film, where Christmas is in the background, uh, but it adds this really odd, chilling counterpoint to the espionage plot. I also think that Christmas is just a thing of beauty, especially as it applies to places like Los Angeles, where it's not so obvious, and you have to dig for it like little nuggets. Hmm. One night on Christmas Eve, I walked past a Mexican lunch wagon serving tacos, and I saw this little string on it, and it was a broken plastic figurine with a light bulb inside of it of the Virgin Mary. And I thought that's just a little hidden piece of magic, you know, all around the city are little slices, little icons of Christmas that are as effective and beautiful in and of themselves as any 40 foot Christmas tree on the lawn of the White House. Wow. So that in a little in a lot of words is the answer. That sounds just like Nico Di Gregorio right there. It does. Hmm. Did that did that perk you up a little bit to hear him saying that? Made me very happy because I agree with every word he just said. Me too. (laughs) I think it's really interesting, this idea that sort of time stands still during the holidays, you Mm -hmm. know, like everyone's priorities sort of shift. You're working less. You're thinking about others more. Sometimes you're stressed out, but it's no doubt like life feels different this month. It's the sense that like anything could happen too. Yeah. You know, that feeling of like, you know, it's the season for miracles, like is the common theme with Christmas, but it's, you know, it, it certainly allows, you know, any filmmaker to get away with anything they want when they're making a Christmas movie too, mm-hmm. which is also nice. I agree. That's really nice. Yeah. hundred percent. And yeah, when you add that little bit of texture, mm-hmm. I, I just think it makes a world of difference, you it's, know, it's part of the painting of a movie. I love, I love that saying that he made about, you know, the texture of it all. Yeah. That's so important. Um, so here, here's the deal, right? I'm not the biggest Shane Black fan. Uh, I, I, maybe a lot of this is informed by his late period work. I'm not a big Iron Man three fan, although a lot of Marvel fans are, that is something like 
the real Marvel fans ride for. I really like it. I don't think it's it's not Shane Black's best film, and it's not even the best uh, Marvel movie. But I I will say it's maybe the most underrated of uh the uh the marvel mcu that might be fair to say yeah yeah is it a great film probably not but i for those who hate it for those who hate it i think they're being way too harsh on the film yeah that's fair enough um nice guys again underwhelmed me oh i love the nice that see this one i love yeah i know you do I love that aesthetic. I love the, I love it as a period piece. I love the the look of L.A. and the characters. And a lot of it is the dialogue. I I, I happen to be a very big uh, fan of uh, sort of um, Shane Black slapstick dialogue sensibilities. They're just right. I, they're just so much fun. It's like if if you're gonna do this kind of quippy, overly clever dialogue, do it like this and just have a ball with it. It's like an action movie in its own dialogue. I yeah, love it. I love it. Yeah, you know what? Maybe. And it's so weird coming from me that I don't dig it. Because normally this is the type of movie that I love. No, it's fine if you want to say, like, you just don't like that voice. That happens to me all the time. Right. You know? I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, there's just something up with this voice. Um, But point is, I think I've seen all the Lethal Weapon films, at least in bits and pieces. Um, And I I had not seen this movie. So what I... I'm a nerd. So every year I write down every movie that I see. Mm. Um, So I have this list dating back all the way to 2013. And I thought that I had seen it sometime in the last five or six years, but apparently it's been over eight years since I've oh, seen wow. this movie. Wow. It's been a very long time. Uh, and I watched it for the first time. I remember my aunt was the one that showed it to me because she loves these movies and she loves corny eighties movies. <laughs> and I think she like promised me something that was very funny and very like buddy cop driven, but like in a, in, in a pure 80s sense. Like, I, I think I was expecting something like Midnight Run. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, uh, you know, I was expecting something like 48 Hours, frankly. Um, and this movie is, as it turns out, like, even darker than I remember it. And that was the revelation watching it last night for the first time because we've often talked about this. Like, I, I'm not a big Lethal Weapon fan and you're like, that is so crazy to me that you wouldn't like it. I know. To, to this day, it's I I, re, I rewatched it again. I've seen it a couple times, but I love this movie. Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely love, 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 love this movie. And it's one, maybe my favorite Richard Donner film. Mm. Uh, it's probably it's I I think uh, oh boy, as a film for me, it might be better than Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Even though I think the script is better in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, man, like uh, maybe just because I got into it with different expectations. I don't know. I never got into it expecting it to be like laugh out loud funny. And on rewatch and having just watched Breaking Bad of all things, it's Breaking Bad is a funny show for me where it's like it's very funny, but I never consider it like laugh out loud funny. It's just sort of amusing situations more than anything. But underneath the surface is something really dark and sinister. And, you know, you, you have to take it very seriously. Um, and it's a not not quite as serious, but it's similar here, where the humor is just kind of there to like brighten you up a little bit. But you're never like you're not necessarily laughing throughout the whole thing. Certainly not with the dialogue. I mean, I, I wrote down some some good quotes by these people as well. But I, I found that the the the. I don't know. The writing was more like like cheerful rather than like humorous, you know, beat to beat. If that's what you were getting into, I could understand why you were like I don't know annoyed by it. But yeah. Uh... So maybe now I'm I'm trying to think back like when I would have seen each of these movies. It's possible that I saw one of the later Lethal Weapon movies before this one. Mm. And I think of it as 
frankly, like a Joe Pesci vehicle, <laughs> which is <laughs> just weird because I, yeah. I don't think of it that way at all. Yeah. Like those later movies, they have so much Pesci in them. When they introduced him in part two, he was such a fan favorite that they brought him back for two more movies. He's in three Lethal Weapon movies, yeah. Joe Pesci. Uh, and those movies are such broad comedies in mm. even though they're made in the 90s, they're actually made with a, with an 80s sensibility to okay. them. Uh, and and maybe it's just that I, I think of this movie, you know, as part of a piece with the other ones. And that's just certainly not the case at all. Watching it last night, I didn't laugh once. No. Uh, and, you know, maybe when I was, I don't know, 15, when I saw the movie for the first time, that bothered me because I wanted something like Die Hard, which was yeah. both dark but also hysterical. This is cl- well. It's this is closer to Die Hard, in my opinion. Again, I'm not laughing hysterically throughout Die Hard. The humor is just more there to like get me through some of the darker moments. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, and that that varies from person to person on how funny you find this stuff. But it, again, it just it just it, it, I don't know. It, it comes back to what I always say: it's just levity. It's just like you know, simple levity that you know kind of informs the characters. But it's not a comedy. Sure. To me, it's never trying to be a comedy. So, hundred percent. I watched it last night for the first time in what was over eight years. And uh, I, I think now I just have a finer appreciation for a hard boiled cop story. Okay. And I liked it a lot. Oh, good. And I'm sorry to report that I will not be making a, the case for why <laughs> Lethal Weapon is a bad movie. Okay. <laughs> I don't have some sort of grand argument written down here. Um, but yeah, I was just dumb, I guess. I guess I was just a dumb kid. No, and I don't No, I don't think that's the case. I think what it comes down to is just expectations. That's yeah. what, from what you were just describing, that's what it, it sounded like to me more than anything. Because I do understand if you if you get into this even expecting Midnight Run, you're going to be disappointed with a scene of a guy burning his 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 arm and sure. be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, or Mel Gibson <laughs> contemplating suicide in a very real way. Yeah. Yeah. I always come back to that. Like when I first saw this movie, I was actually stunned by how good Mel Gibson actually is in this movie. Yeah. And I say this all the time. There's great. There's nobody better at acting like they're sorrowful or remorseful or in pain more than Mel Gibson. Oh my God. The scene where he's uh, trying to kill himself, but never quite does it is the most convincing thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It's great. I love it. And I will say like, I think there's a world where, um, you know, a, a, a more sort of grounded filmmaker makes this movie, you know, like a, like a Sidney Lumet or something directs mm. this movie. And it's a, it's a lot like more of a, a hard boiled cop story set in CD Los Angeles or, yeah. you know, th- there, there are other directors that would have approached this material differently. But what I love about it is that Richard Donner is this excellent action filmmaker. And yep. he just has such an eye for this. And it, it's my favorite kind of movie, which is just like really smart screenwriting and like silly, pulpy, poppy direction. Yeah. And it it just is the most entertaining movie. And it's, you know, it's a wonder that I haven't watched it 10 times in my life. And it's, it's, it's so weird that I'm just discovering now how good this movie is. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a really, really good movie. There are two, just one of those things, man. There are two things in the movie that bother me, exclusively two. It's when Tom Atkins is explaining his entire motivation to Danny Glover. Uh-huh. A little weak. Yeah, sure. Um, and I think the ending fight with uh, Mel Gibson and um, Gary Busey 
It's a little strange. A little far-fetched. Yeah. And they're, Let them fight. It's like, uh, okay, movie. Right. And then there's a little bit of a muddled quality where it's like, I'm not going to kill him, and then he kills him anyway. But, sure, you know, again, pulpy action, it's not exactly, you know, it's, it's par for the course as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's kind of melodramatic at times. Uh, you know, it, it paints with very broad strokes again. Uh, but I, I do think, like, both of, the, both of these men are really good. Danny Glover... Actually, on the rewatch, I was surprised how much I liked Danny Glover in it. Oh, my God. I've always thought of it as sort of a Mel Gibson vehicle, but Glover is awesome in this, too. Again, I don't think either of the characters work as well without one another. That's the best thing about any buddy cop movie is if, you know, it's not like one character stealing the show for any for any second, Mm. which is why I was kind of worried when I saw the nice guys for the first time. I don't know how you feel about this, but I was kind of worried that like Ryan Gosling would steal every scene away from Russell Crowe. And at least for me, that really wasn't true. That was the case for me. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) No, but see, there you (laughs) go. Yeah, <laughs> and they're both he, Ryan Gosling's great in that movie. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but but there was something about it that just made me love him more because uh, Russell Crowe was always there, uh, <laughs> sort of being his other hand. Um, but it, it, it's certainly more definitive here. I, I don't know. I, I in, on rewatch, especially for me too, I was actually kind of surprised by how much I love the family dynamic with uh, uh, Danny Glover and just how pure that feels. Sure, especially at the dinner scene where uh, the, the 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 girl is kind of eyeing Mel Gibson. Yeah, and how that could be played in a much more awkward sense, but it's oddly it's kind of nice. Yeah, and they the the the, the brothers and sisters sort of make fun of her for it, and it's just nice. And I could see myself in that scenario. And then they they try to sing, and Danny Glover's like. <laughs> I'm awful. Right. It's just, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's really sweet. A lot of heart in it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah uh, here's my one criticism. More Busey, please. Yeah. I More Mr. Even... Joshua, please. <laughs> Mr. Joshua. I wish I could do a good Gary Busey, but he is so good in everything he's in. I'm sorry. It's Not crazy. Busey. Not enough Busey. Give me more. But, you know, that's my criticism of every Gary Busey movie. Yeah. Not enough Busey. Well, you should watch Predator 2. Why aren't you watching Predator 2 right now? Good question. Man, good question. And I mean, it, it goes without saying. I mean, the, the like, I mean, uh, just as, as far as like buddy cop movies, I guess this is like the iconic staple. You know, what do you want? It's important in that way. When I think, I suppose, like, it, it's not that it was the first one to do it, or you know, certainly wasn't the last. But I don't know. When I think of buddy cop films, this is, this is certainly the very first thing I think of. Personally, I don't know. What do you think of? But, but, is it a Christmas movie? Ah, uh, ooh, and yes, this is what I was going to ask you about. Uh, more so than anything. Um, I, I again, it's it's further from a Christmas movie than Die Hard. I cer- agree, certainly. But again, at, at the it it does carry a lot of the the looks and aesthetics, and it certainly references Christmas all the time. There but, are Christmas trees, but it is also about you know people learning to be friends. You know. It's also about like heroin smuggling. I know, <laughs> I know, but it's about like, like none of this plot has anything to do with Christmas. Not really. No, no, no. It's not. It's not predicated on Christmas. That's certainly true. But thematically, it certainly plays into uh, a lot of ideas that Christmas is about. You know. Yeah. If I were to kick one movie off of this list, as far I, as a Christmas, movie. as far as it being a Christmas movie, this is the one I would kick off. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't even disagree with you. Yeah. To Jingle say- Bell Rock plays at the beginning, I guess. Yeah. And there are Christmas trees featured. Oh yeah, but I, I'm not sure the Christmasness of it all goes past the aesthetic level. It, well, it's it's not as integral as 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 these other movies, but I do think there is a there is a level to what the movie is really about that actually speaks to what Christmas is all about too. So it's just not as overt as like say Die Hard is, for example. All right, fair enough. You know, what do you want? 
Man, I, I just, I love, I, I'm sorry, I just love this writing. It's the fucking best. Read some quotes. I love, uh, it, again, not even necessarily laugh out loud funny. They're just, they're just clever. I don't know. Just something about them just makes me, you know, chuckle. I think I'm an 80s man. Last night I cried in bed. How's that? <laughs> God hates. I was by al- I was alone, right? Yeah. yeah. God by yourself because I was by myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah. who thinks of that? God hates me is what it is. I hate him back. It works for me. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite is when like just perfect description of the characters right here, like with Merton Riggs. It's like yeah, he saved my ass in the war. Oh yeah, what happened? Took a bayonet in the lugs. Well, that was nice of him. <laughs> yeah, it's very Adam Hall. I I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Shane Black has always been uh, an enigma to me. I don't know. Haven't been able to figure him out. Uh, I mean, he he was in terms of his screenwriting, he was a favorite of mine. I mean, since The Predator, I've severely qu- questioned him. Here's the the problem with that movie is that like it could have been just a fine whatever movie. It could have been just like I. I, I, I get, say I gave it like a 60%. That wouldn't have made me dismiss Shane Black. I would have sure. just been like, yeah, it's a little bit of a dud. Sure. But like, man, that's a bad movie. Overtly terrible in every way. That's an awful, awful Overtly movie. terrible. Yes, and it makes me question his validity. But definitely a fun terrible, though. It is a why is this a thing. Yeah, definitely. It is. Anyway. All right. Uh, let's move on. Mm-hmm. 1983's A Christmas Story. Time for you to unleash some hot takes on this pod. Directed by Bob Clark, starring Melinda Dillon, Darren McGavin, Peter Billingsley, and Gene Shepard. As the narrator, in the 1940s, a young boy named Ralphie attempts to convince his parents, his teacher, and Santa that a Red Ryder BB gun really is the perfect Christmas gift. All right, go ahead. Shit on a Christmas story. <laughs> I Turn all the listeners against you that aren't against you already. I've seen this film maybe as many times as I've seen Die Hard, and it's totally against my will. Yeah. And that should tell you a lot about how I feel about this movie. TBS, holding a gun to your head every Christmas day. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a bad movie at all. I'm not going to shit on it that much. Um I, I get why it's sort of a beloved Christmas staple. This is a Christmas movie. Holy shit. Yes. Uh, it might go a little too far for me. It's In the Christmas department. Yeah, the whimsy of this movie. And I like Wes Anderson and the whimsy here in recent years. Like, I must have been like – I have like a distinct like point in time. It was like maybe like like five Christmases ago and I was just like, damn, it just doesn't work for me anymore it's too and i don't know it's too much it's 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 too sugary it's a it's a little too sincere with these characters the the humor is it it's nice but again almost like too nice and and cute and cuddly they'll shoot your eye out yeah i don't know and it just it got very annoying for me i don't know i hate to say it but i do find this movie you know quite grating at times and a lot of that is just the writing and the characters and some of the stupid scenarios i, I mean i don't even want to call it stupid i get it but i don't know are these stupid scenarios i don't know they're scenarios that actually happened right they'll shoot your eye out like <laughs> how about when he's in the classroom and he writes the paper and he's dreaming about how the class is uh, and he's lift him like up like he thing. just won a track me <laughs> he's blowing kisses to everybody it's just like okay movie <laughs> I never say this. I never, uh, ever, ever say this. No, I, you don't. I love excess. I love 
the the worst of the worst. I love the fluffiest of the fluffy. Yeah. I love everything in between. I love it all. Yeah. Something about this movie as time has gone on. And maybe it's because I was overexposed to it. That's probably what it probably. is. I'm sure if I saw it now, like like just now for the first time, I would probably have a lot of affection for it. But uh, it's it's, you know, kid, it's time for you to move out. Uh, <laughs> okay. You're right. There's a lot here. And there's a lot in the culture. The amount of leg lamps you see at <laughs> And listen, you also worked at Bed Bath and Beyond. You probably sold that leg lamp uh, oh. half, half a dozen times, didn't you? Yep. Oh yeah. You have one downstairs. I think I do. It's actually Zach's. I stole that from Zach. Oh really? It's not mine. <laughs> Zach brought it over and I never gave it back. Uh y- yeah. Leg lamp, the Ralphie Easter Bunny outfit, the you know, the the tongue on the 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 the, the telephone pole or the flagpole or whatever. I get it. There's a lot of iconography and that can be especially grating when your family is watching it three times in a row every year on Christmas. That's an interesting point though. Like in this case, at least for me, and I don't think I'm totally alone. I think most people like this movie, but there is a group of people like me that are just kind of tired of it Mm. or it's like, yeah, maybe too much iconography is not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, you're right. It's overplayed. I agree with you. I think it's overplayed. Would I call it overrated? No, I here's, here's what I think. Um, the voiceover here is incredible. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the movie, if you don't know the story of how this movie was made, Jude Shepard was like a short story columnist, wrote a bunch of like articles for Playboy back in the day, back in like the 60s about his childhood. Many of those stories were adapted into his book In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. That was the name of the title, In God We Trust, colon, All, All Others Pay Cash. And uh, in that story or in that book where the stories like the flagpole story, the Chinese restaurant story. Uh, all the stuff about the the you know the radio contest, the BB gun, all of these are real stories that Gene Shepard lived as a child in the 30s and 40s. Eventually, those stories were adapted into radio plays with Gene Shepard reading those stories, um, much like he does in this movie. And those um, radio plays were ultimately turned into the movie that we have now. Uh, and it is just a, a movie chock full of little novellas, little plot asides all in some way relating to Christmas. I just think it's one of the the movies that most mimics the experience of reading a book to me. Mm, okay. And that's sort of what I love about it. And that's what I find kind of comforting about it. The way that Gene Shepard is able to voice the fears and anxieties and beliefs of a child through the vocabulary of an adult. I just find that thrilling. And I, I just find his narration here to, to be uh, by far and away the best part of the movie. Yeah, it, 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 it probably is too. But I also, I also agree with that because I do remember when around the first times I saw it, like I like it really connected with me and I just kind of got it and I understood all of the anxieties that the characters are dealing with and you know, even if they're kind of mundane and simple and there's not technically many stakes to them aside from I may get my present or I may not. That was a very real issue for me as a kid. Yeah. You know, if I didn't get the thing I wanted for Christmas, that was going to, you know, ruin the end of the year for me, Mm -hmm. you know, and I wouldn't recover until next Christmas. Right. (laughs) And there is just such specificity too to the childhood experience where it's like, yeah, triple dog dare. I remember what Mm -hmm. that means. You know, uh, the idea of the award and that lamp, I know now it's a cliche and the joke is almost spoiled for you. If you haven't even seen the movie, you know about the leg lamp, but like you can't make that up. Like your father gets a leg lamp. 
in the mail and he puts it up with pride like you 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 don't invent that that's something that had to happen to you as a kid and i'm sure it was even funnier in real life than it is in the movie um just so much of that uh you know that the radio play getting that that decoder in the mail listening mm. to little orphan annie on the radio and then decoding decoding a an ad for ovaltine this does have one of my favorite lines ever where it's like be, be sure to drink your ovaltine son of a bitch (laughs) that's great all the stuff with the soap it's the soap is the worst hey don't get me started on the soap life was it life buoy is the life boy is the is the name of the soap brand and it's like you know i could i could deal with dove you know i I could i could deal with irish spring i could deal with but this specific soap brand just tasted awfully disgusting like that experience of putting soap in your mouth after you cursed so much of that i just love the specificity yeah you're right it's overly stylized and the performance is very broad and you know this is the guy that directed porky's bob clark who directed this movie and it is a very <laughs> 80s comedy in that way this guy also went on to direct baby geniuses too i think and the original baby geniuses oh did he direct the first one yeah he did have you seen those movies yeah of course i have not i mean i was eight when i saw them but <laughs> yeah uh so you know yes it is an 80s comedy and it's certainly a relic of its time and if this movie comes out today it is it is not nearly as beloved as it is now um but it came out in the 80s and i i just i find this voiceover it's like reading catcher in the rye you know like it just it really it put it puts you in the shoes of this young character, and I I don't know like in it's terms like of reading Catcher hundred percent hundred percent man ah hundred percent man you <laughs> it's like reading a great novel I, I laugh at you and laugh all you want man. I, I don't even disagree that it's like that I would use a different example than Catcher in the Rye. whatever <laughs> whatever. <laughs> The language of this script is is so awesome. And again, I'm not like a big yeah. voiceover guy in movies either. Like, you know, Goodfellas does it well and Shawshank Redemption does it well. But it's a very short list of movies with voiceover that work. March of the Penguins. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah. It's Come on. The best, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, just really just deconstructing the internal angst of Flipper there is really... <laughs> uh, <laughs> They're penguins. I don't know what his name is. Flipper. Flipper's a fucking dolphin. <laughs> okay. I like this movie. I think it's awesome. No, I think it's an I, awesome movie. I, I, and I don't condemn anyone for liking it. I get it. I really do. I am I am on the outside here, and I'm I'm okay on the outside. It's okay. It's fine. I'll be fine. Okay. You're gonna freeze your ass off out there. Yeah, see, it's getting cold already. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it's pretty warm today. Better get inside. <laughs> better get inside i'd rather shoot my eye out it's a great movie man yeah yeah, yeah. I fucking love it yeah i know i know <laughs> the red rifle all right miracle on 34th street from 1947 directed by george seaton starring maureen o'hara john payne natalie wood as a young girl and edmund gwen Mm-hmm. winner of best supporting actor for edmund gwen at the oscars as well as best screenplay and best original story apparently they split those two categories up back in the day oh interesting and it also got a best picture nomination it was a big hit at the oscars when a nice old man who claims to be santa claus is institutionalized as insane a young lawyer decides to defend him by arguing in court that he is the real thing doesn't happen until 
the end of the movie, really. Yeah. Interestingly. Right. But here's the thing. Mm. I have some explaining to do. Okay. Last night, <clears throat> I, was, I was filming away, uh, getting part of a short film done, working my ass off. Oh, no. I didn't end up going to sleep until 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, no. <laughs> Woke up at 9 o'clock this morning. Oh, no. Fit in about an hour, five minutes of this movie. Oh. I know exactly what happens in the movie. I know that they get the house and that he leaves the cane and that, oh, he's probably Santa. You know, and they convince the court that he was Santa. I get it. I know. But I have like 30 minutes left of the movie. Okay. You could have pushed it back 30 minutes. It's okay. No, that's you could have shown a plate. It's, it's, it's all fine. good. It's fine. I, I, I'm versed enough to talk about the movie, but, but the, the, the essence of what we're going to talk about anyway. Okay. Well, well what do you think of what you saw then? Great. Okay. Yeah. It's really good. It's really it's, good. It's a charming, wonderful, delightful little movie, and it's impossible not to love. You have to be the devil to not like this movie. Yeah. It's, it is, it's weird because it's almost exactly what I expected it to be, like to a T. Okay. And that might bother me usually, but here I was just kind of welcoming it. I felt like I needed it. Yeah. Yeah. I was very happy with it. Uh, yeah. I, I find this to just be a marvel of screenwriting. I just think it's like it's a really good script, not just for a Christmas movie, just not as a Christmas classic, but as like an old Hollywood picture. I thought like the screenwriting the first time I saw it was so clever. Um, it really does take this premise seriously of what would happen if santa showed up or if a guy claiming to be santa showed up and he knew all the reindeer by name and knew like what their antlers look like and what order they were supposed to sit on the sled and um you know it's it's very grounded in that way and that's what i i find so clever about it those courtroom scenes are so fun yeah they're a little far-fetched but this movie goes through the work of like you know what would the judge trying this case Mm. be thinking and like what would the political ramifications be of this like if a judge declared that santa is indeed (laughs) not santa what would the fallout look like in the election would democrats support him would republicans support him and these are these are actual like issues arise that that arise in the movie um you know it talks about the business structure of the macy's department store love which is great i love that it's such a now that's the most clever thing for me where it's about the 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 problems of being too commercial on christmas right even back then because i mean it's obviously christmas has been commercial forever but like we talk about it so much now where it's like one of the biggest blunders of the the holiday season sure where it's like no one has the time to just chill back and relax it's never really about christmas it's about selling shit and money yeah yeah. and this movie comments on that in a really delightful kind of manner yeah that like manages to do it like a workaround but at the same time when santa's trying to say i'm not going to be commercial they manage to swing it in a way where it's sort of manipulative and cynical and i'm like oh my god yeah but i bought it entirely sure yeah if yeah if santa claus himself showed up never mind a drunk guy in a santa outfit if santa claus actually <laughs> showed up how would uh corporate america commercialize him yes exactly and, that, and they actually go through that work and like Santa Claus is institutionalized in this movie <laughs> for believing that he's Santa Claus and yeah. he goes through a psych eval and we actually see the psych eval on mm-hmm. screen. Like I love how grounded this movie is. I love how process oriented this movie is. I love like even for a movie in 1947 that was directed at children and is has since become a holiday classic among children and among families. Uh, I I just fucking love like how seriously this screenplay takes its premise. Mm-hmm. And I'm always going to love scripts like that. This is the type of movie that you would expect 
Aaron Sorkin to write, you know, and like in Ooh, 2015, that would be fun. You know what I mean? Like this is the type of script. This is the type of Christmas movie you make after you've run out of Christmas movies to make. And now it's time to deconstruct all of these tropes. In 1947, they made this movie. Yep. And that's just insane to me how self-aware and self-referential and and uh, and smart this movie is. It's incredibly smart. I think it's a type of story that kind of writes itself, though. Yeah. You know, it's it's when you it. it, it it should be a simple idea, but like no one has like the courage to actually go through with it because it really honestly is just throw Santa into this situation. And then everything that follows is just what you write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you said, the whole procedure of it all. You could literally write a scene with Santa doing a psych eval sure. and it'll be funny or compelling or sweet. Yeah. It's all of those things. Mm. You know, they don't it's I, I, I don't know. I think it's a, an incredibly clever idea at, sure. at the end of the day. But yeah, I. I the funny thing about it is to like like how much this relates to other Christmas movies that I've seen, and then and watching it uh, now, it's like oh, this is where Elf comes from, right? Entirely where Elf comes from, right? And sort of the the film's lasting influence on all of these like like, like holiday specials that deal with like these fish out of the water scenarios, but 100%. they're not they're not quite as thorough as this though, right? Yeah, and 100%. I just. I loved it for that. Yeah, I really did. And also the fish is just better in this movie that's that, underwater. Edmund Gwen awesome. is amazing in this movie. Buddy the Elf is great. Great. But man, this actor is just like like the sweetest thing ever. Sure. How do you not love this guy? Yeah, well deserving of the, the Oscar for sure that year. Uh yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. The the fish out of water elements, you're right, that is that has sort of become a trope mm-hmm. in, in Christmas movies for some strange reason. You know, whether it's Buddy the Elf or Rudolph or Frosty the Snowman or something. Or, or Holiday in Handcuffs. Or Holiday in Handcuffs. <laughs> Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that. The great Ron Underwood film. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, you're right. It, so much of it you can see in in those later Christmas movies. I mean, the, the idea of like the mail room is is an idea in Elf, and yeah, it, it's uh, it's 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 just a it's just a great work of screenwriting, mm-hmm. and it, it just sort of proves to you that you know you put Santa Claus in your movie, it, it doesn't have to be bad. <laughs> you know what no, I mean? No, exactly. like you can take this material seriously, and you can make a great movie under the guise of a Christmas movie. You can have an Oscar winner, sure, e- easily. Yeah, easily. I saw this. I'm like, oh my god, I get it. Right. It's it like it, this. It's it's just an undeniably charming film. I don't know. Yeah, it's too easy to to dismiss movies like this. Is really the problem. Well, it's because there's so many of them. Yeah, especially now. And it, I, I don't know. Maybe it does speak to how many there are. It took me forever to see this movie. I just you know I, I still have you know a little bit to go to you know finish the whole thing entirely but from what i saw it was great and it was the first time i was seeing it and yeah i it's on all the time i don't know why i didn't pick up on it later mm-hmm. you know and i've been told to many many times and you know it, i just hate it when this happens with movies where you throw them on a list that's just like the the, the bargain bin in the back i'll get to it when i get to it sure where i really shouldn't do that this movie does not deserve to be there so yeah, entirely. Should move it up to the top of your queue. I think you can stream it on Disney Plus. Is that yep, right? Yep, yep. That's where I was watching. That's it. how you saw it. Okay. And uh, I'd like to comment. Natalie Wood has always kind of been Natalie Wood. <laughs> At seven, she was watching Natalie this Wood? movie. I'm like, well, you're a precocious little girl. Okay. Oh God. <laughs> Stop it. Not precarious. Precocious. <laughs> There's a difference. <laughs> And I was like, well, okay, you're, you're a little, you know, you got yourself figured out. I, I certainly didn't have myself figured out this well <laughs> when I was seven. Well, she has a very mature mother. I will say this. Fuck that mother. Fuck that mother. If I, th- That is no way to raise your kid. Say, you know, kid, here's an idea. Don't believe in anything. 
<laughs> the world's a cold, the, vicious place. The world sucks, sweetheart. Let me pat your head. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, mom. Sure. <laughs> Sure. As I make millions for the Macy's Corporation. <laughs> Literally. Agreed. I never have to ask for anything because my mom gets me whatever I want. Like, ooh. Yeah, know. not good. That's a bad mom. Right. I'm, I'm definitely team John Payne there. I think he's he's sort of, he's <laughs> slumming it with this chick. Mm. He's this idealistic lawyer. He's the Atticus Finch of this universe. Man, he can do a lot better. An idealistic lawyer. There's no such thing. Yeah. Well, Atticus Finch and this guy too. I guess it. so. I guess so. Defending Santa Claus. <laughs> he is a great lawyer. You got to give him that. Mm. Yeah, that is true. That's an amazing lawyer. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He proved that Santa Claus does indeed exist. He took a smelly old man and made him Santa Claus. Yeah. Could you imagine what OJ would have been able to do with a lawyer like that? You know how he would have been out of there in five seconds. Exactly. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, okay. That's Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, me too. And finally, 1946's It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. Directed by Frank Capra, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Lionel Barrymore. Nominated for Best Picture, Lead Actor, Director, Sound, and Film Editing. An angel is sent from heaven to help a desperately frustrated businessman by showing him what life would have been like if he had never existed. Let's talk about the Christmas of it all first. Frank Capra did not envision this as a Christmas movie when he first wrote it, mm. it became a Christmas movie. And I think like during filming, the fact that it was set during Christmas, I think um, played a larger part than even intended. Um, I think the fact that this is a movie that has become a holiday classic every Christmas Eve, NBC shows this movie. I think PBS showed this movie for years and years on Christmas Eve is somewhat accidental. Mm. Um, but I don't think this movie works without, christmas as a backdrop no uh what's your relationship to it's a wonderful life i probably saw this film uh for the first time maybe mm, three to five years ago wow very late another very very late one for me wow i think i was going through hitchcock films actually and finding a lot of great james stewart roles with like rope and uh, vertigo and whatnot and just being blown away by both he's of those. incredible in rope yeah obviously he's great in vertigo and rear window he's, he's, yeah. i mean vertigo is amazing too but like he just comes in he's so quiet in that movie in a way that james stewart usually is normally quiet yeah. no which is one of the more reasons why that performance was so surprising for me yeah just it's kind of the eagle being the onlooker to everything that's going on and piecing it together really really great role in that yeah it's great James Stewart. They don't make them like they used to, man. They don't. They don't make them like they used to. I mean, he. This relates to my feelings towards this movie, though, because I. Yeah, seeing this movie, I was like ashamed of myself for not seeing it sooner. You should have been. It was instantaneously one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's like just one of the best movies ever made. I love this thing with all my heart. Yeah, <laughs> and it, like, and as much as I love Die Hard, this is very, very, very close up there. It is. It's my favorite film on this list. Oh, I, I would, I would put it above Die Hard. It is a remarkable film it is it, it like this this thing cures cancer as far as i'm concerned yeah. this is the best most most wonderful uplifting thing ever and part of the reason it's so good in that way is because it brings you way down in the dumps only to bring you back up it's fucking dark dude yeah yeah. It's dark. And that's what surprised me the most about it. I thought it was going to be closer to Miracle on 34th Street. Sure. Which is not a bad thing. Yeah. But and I, I think many people still think of it as 
in the same breath as Miracle on 34th Street. I was legitimately shocked when I found out, like, oh, my God, the maturity that this is bringing to the story and just that playing into this scenario and really exploring what it would be like to you if you, you know, never existed. And I just really connect to a movie that's about being grateful for what you have. Yeah. Because far too often characters in movies don't seem to take any recognition for that. Or- my brother, the richest man in the world. <laughs> my God, that's a great quote. It's the best. Yeah. I just, I, it, I really, really like deeply responded to this one. And again, a part of the reason for that is just the sort of uh, inimitable qualities of James Stewart. Yeah. Like just the perfect all American guy that we all sort of like, we just want all of his qualities in us. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> There's something just so wholesome and pure about this man, especially by the end of the film, but mm. anyway, and just like l- looking at his story as, as just this inspiration for being better to ourselves. I just, I, ah, uh, I get a lot out of this movie. This movie affects me deeply. I love it. He's so often compared to Tom Hanks. Now it's sort of become a cliche mm-hmm. um, or Tom Hanks, I should say is compared to James Stewart, but I love Tom Hanks. Don't get me wrong, but I do think like James Sturges has more range than Tom Hanks. Strangely enough, maybe he has that like wholesome uncle quality to him, but he's also able to go to these dark places where Hanks sometimes goes, but like, I don't know. Would Hanks be working with Hitchcock if Hitchcock were around now? (sighs) I don't know. I don't know. The darkest, the only like dark performances he's ever given road to perdition. Right. He's very good. in Philadelphia, I guess is a dark performance, although it's a yeah, fairly positive movie. I consider his role in Saving Private Ryan to be somewhat dark, and a lot of people don't agree with me, but I think that character, emotionally, what he's always dealing with and just how he has to treat his men mm-hmm. is a little little darker than anything he usually does. Sure. It's a much more cynical character than he ever plays. The final scene of Captain Phillips, I guess, where he's yeah, breaking down. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But it's a little bit different with James Stewart, I guess, with how grounded he is and just the scene where he's kind of lost everything and he comes back home and they're screw- the kids are screwing around on the piano and they're trying to decorate everything. And just he looks like a homeless man. He's so defeated. Yeah. Like just I don't I don't know if like Tom Hanks has ever quite got that. And again, it's just something about the person. Yeah, it's it. I and I hate it when any actor tries to like achieve that or or, or acquire the same thing that they did. But I don't know. I think James Stewart just had it. Uh, let me read a, an excerpt from a New York Times review that I thought just put this movie, um, just summed this movie up perfectly. What you were saying about it tearing you down before it brings you back up. Mm-hmm. It's a Wonderful Life is a terrifying, asphyxiating story about growing up and relinquishing your dreams, of seeing your father driven to the grave before his time, of living among bitter, small-minded people. It's a story of being trapped, of compromising, of watching other move, mo- others move ahead and away of becoming so filled with rage that you verbally abuse your children, their teacher, and your oppressively perfect wife. Mm-hmm. It's also a nightmare account of an endless home renovation. Like, yeah, man, I know this is a PG-rated movie, and it's a family favorite, and you're always gathering around the the fireplace to watch this on Christmas Eve, but it goes there in a way that a 1946 movie just... You don't expect it to go there. Nope. It will make you cry. Yeah. <laughs> and it certainly did. Yeah. I love that comment about the oppressively perfect wife. Yeah. Again, just like playing into the elements, like just be happy with what you have, man. Mm. It's just great. It, 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 and a lot of people, again, would, would criticize any character that's quote unquote perfect. Sure. But in here, it's totally appropriate. Mm. I just love that character. Oh, Mary, I'm going to lasso the moon. <laughs> that's a bad James Stewart impression. I'm sorry. Can I do it? Lasso the moon. You want the moon? I'm going to... What's the exact quote? I I don't know. (laughs) You want the moon? There it is. Yeah. 
Just say the word and I'll th- uh, throw a lasso around it and pull it down. There you go. <laughs> say, that's what I'll do. I'll give you the moon. That's not bad. I'll take it. It's better than my Mickey Mouse impression of James <laughs> Stewart. <laughs> say the game, Joe. <laughs> that's what my James Stewart sounded like. <laughs> um... Yeah, you know what also is like pretty striking, and I, I wonder if you felt the same way. You watch it now; the stuff with the guardian angel is actually very late. In oh yeah, the movie like you expect that to be the entire through line, but it's not until like mid second act, early third act, where where the angel finally comes down to Stuart. This is a weird thing that happens with any movie. I, it's 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 not uh, totally specific to this one. Why do people? Because it is like I guess the most iconic thing about the story. Sure, but you're right; it is very separate in a lot of ways. It's it doesn't have as much to do with that as you would think. Why do movies do that, or why do like publications do that? It's the same thing with Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Yeah, not, I mean, yeah, like the the, the courtroom scene is important, but it's not the movie. Yeah, it, it's kind of weird how over time people's impression of the movie, or, or uh, you know, the the their knowledge of the movie becomes like. It, it's sort of like the Bernstein Bears Mandela effect, mm. you know, of like the synopsis after you've read it a thousand times without actually seeing the movie, that synopsis becomes the movie. Yeah. And like it, 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 the idea of It's a Wonderful Life almost takes on a life of its own and the movie kind of gets lost in that. Uh, this is a movie about a banker for a, you yeah. know, for a lot of it. A struggling banker. Yeah, the, the, the stuff with Mr. Potter like yeah. is... That's most of the movie. Like most of the movie is about like losing your business and, you know, and, and, uh, it, you know, it, um, what, what is he's not accepting bribes, but he's like, is he laundering money? What is he doing? What's that money that James Stewart owes? That was like illegally obtained funds. What was it? Where does that money come from? But it's again, it's about like the nuances of like, did they set him up with it though? Like they were trying to tear him down. Yeah. I think that's what it was. I forgot where exactly they got the money or how they were trying to like, like tempt him. I don't right. think it, it might've been bribe money, but it's about the nuances of like small town industry and about like a dying small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, about this idea that, you know, Bedford falls becomes Pottersville. Yeah, and like Pottersville is like. By the way, here's a note I want to make about Pottersville. Seems a lot more fun than Bedford Falls. Like <laughs> when Mr. Potter takes over and it's like casinos and nightclubs and whorehouses on the corner. Like I don't know. You 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 want George Bailey's business to go under? I don't necessarily want George Bailey's business to go under. <laughs> I just think if Potter was running things, maybe the economy wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> you want George Bailey's business to go under? No, I support small businesses, but I also support whorehouses. <laughs> <laughs> I see how it is, Nico. Point is. is, the movie's a lot more complicated than that. It's not just like yeah. a fantastical... It's not... You know what it is? It's not a Christmas carol. It's no. not just a Christmas no. carol. It's a lot more grounded. And yeah, it's it's not... It, it is definitely a Christmas movie, and it is the Christmas movie in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but so much of it is not concerned with Christmas. Yeah. And it does sort of work, again, as its own movie, similar to Miracle on 34th Street. To call it a good Christmas movie is underselling it. It's just a good movie. And this is what we, we're talking about to sort of wrap it all together. Like, if you're defining a Christmas movie, some of the best ones aren't as concerned with literally Christmas as you would think. Yeah. That's definitely true. Mm. Uh, talked about Stuart. This was his first movie after he returned from World War II. Was uh, it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, he had went and served for a couple of years, and this was his his return. And like, I just think it's a great performance. Um, perhaps for that reason, like, there's Maybe. just a lot of darkness and despair in this. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder if it was informed by his his time overseas. Could have been. Yeah. Um, it's just it's it's fucking it's great, man. Yeah, great, 
amazing. It's a great movie. It's a great premise. It's a it's a great performance. It's a great execution. It's a tearjerker. Mm-hmm. And to think that at the time, kind of received mixed reviews. Yeah, I read that too. That was strange. Yeah, unsuccessful at the box office. Mm-hmm. Did not do well. Um, you know, for years was thought of as this big failure. And then years later, it gets released into the public domain because no studio wanted it. Really? It was in the public wow. domain like in the 60s. So PBS started airing it on TV and NBC started airing it on TV and it gained steam over time through television. That's and now it's thought of as this great classic. And now I think it's it's since been trademarked and now you can only play it on certain networks. But back in the day, you could just play it for free and no one said shit. That's funny. Yeah. Um, like I don't get that it's amazing I I don't know how you see this movie in 46 and not be blown away it pisses me off (laughs) how do you watch Citizen Kane the same thing and just be like eh eh like what (laughs) what are you talking about (laughs) the fact that I I I was born in 1995 I saw this thing in like 2015 and I was blown away by it yeah whatever <laughs> whatever whatever is right amazing all right that's it's a wonderful life if you haven't seen it somehow like christmas eve maybe you're home this year because of covid or whatever flip on nbc they'll be showing it this is a great movie to watch during the covid season actually yeah, yeah. honestly it is about it- yes about rising up from despair and <laughs> your life meaning something even though you're trapped in your house for a year seriously though it's, yeah. kind, it's kind of the thing that people need right watch it's a wonderful life it'll help Clarence, baby. Clarence needs to Clarence. Take, dig you out of the, the, the gutter and show you what your life would be like without you. <laughs> great idea, but Oh, it's such a great idea. Yeah. Amazing. All right. That's it. Uh, talk to me. What do you think? Ooh. I mean, there, there's a, we, 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 we don't have to put in lethal weapon. Don't worry. Okay. Um, man, I, I, then I don't, I, I don't want to put in a Christmas story. I mean, I'm I okay with that. Uh, yeah. It would it would be upsetting not to put in Die Hard because it's the second time getting nominated, but <laughs> it can just become a running gag. We never let Die Hard. In. That would be pretty great, though. <laughs> Best John McTiernan movies. <laughs> so Rollerball from two thousand. <laughs> um, yeah, Home Alone two. Uh, any 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 love for Home Alone two, dude? <laughs> yes, I have plenty of love for Home Alone two. It's a very good movie, but. No, if you cross that one out, don't worry about that. Uh, it, I think it's it's a wonderful life. I don't have a lot of, not really questioning it. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it came to define this genre in many ways. Yeah. It was the first great Christmas movie, um, and perhaps it's still the best. It still hasn't been topped. Think about that all these years later. That's a big part. It's Yeah, it could very well be the best of all these movies, too. And just the fact that it has that impact, too. We I feel like we've been excluding the other criteria for a long time. Now. And Die Hard is a movie with a lot of impact. Yeah. No question. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Like I do think Die Hard's one of the great movies of all time, but it's not in, it's a wonderful life tier. Not quite. No, it, it, it's no, not I, there. I'm sorry. Yeah. I will say it's, it's, it's maybe closer than you might give it credit for. Yeah. yeah I, I do. I do think. I mean, what are we doing here? We're not going to deny it's a wonderful life. Are we? It would be very mean. Yeah. <laughs> it would be quite cruel. So let's not be mean. Let's be nice in the spirit of giving mm-hmm. and let's induct It's a Wonderful Life into the Movie Hall of Fame. What do you say? I'm good with it. All right. All right. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. 
so much better than John McClane's. I'm sorry. It just is. <laughs> I want to hear Jim, James Stewart say, say uh, yippee motherfucker at the end yippee of this movie. yippee motherfucker. Right. <laughs> After he took down Mr. Potter. <laughs> After the town paid his bail. I want to hear the Santa Claus and Miracle of 34th Street say it. <laughs> to the it's Dutch to the little girl. <laughs> that was a great scene. Great scene. Okay. That's it. Best Christmas movie of all time. I think that's a, a worthy entry into the movie hall of fame. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're winding down here. It's the end of the year. It's always a fun time for us, but also a very busy time for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do next week, but I, I think we'll figure it out. You maybe want to just shoot the shit next week. I'm down. Play some cinephile. You know, I wouldn't mind. It's been a while since we've done some cinephile. Take it easy. Maybe watch a couple recent movies and, I don't know. I hope by next week I will have seen the first two up. Uh, by the way, they're called movies. Five films by Steve McQueen. Yeah, he's calling them movies. No, I saw the poster says. Yeah, five all right. Films the poster can say whatever it wants. So what do you want? <laughs> That's what it's being marketed. I mean, as. Fargo on the poster says this is a true story, and the names of the survivors have been changed, <laughs> and it's not. What the That's movie a is. joke, though, <laughs> by the Cohen brothers to set the tone. <laughs> All I'm saying is, uh, what, just because it was it's on TV and they're episodic. <laughs> Holiday in Handcuffs is a movie. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll talk about it, I guess. I w- point is, I will want to have seen a couple episodes of yeah. Small Axe. Yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to be catching up on recent movies, um, so I'll have something to report, but... I need to watch some recent movie. I don't know what the hell there is for me to like really watch. Oh, there's a bunch. I'll give you some stuff. You're, you're behind on a couple. Yeah. Yeah, you're behind on a couple. I'll give you some 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 good ones. And we'll talk about that next week. Two weeks from now is actually Christmas, so we'll just take that off. And then before you know it, it's the end of the year, and it's time for top 10 lists. Yep. So there we go. I was looking at my top 10 list last night, actually. Thin. I was stunned by how bad it is. Yeah. It's remarkably bad. Actually. Mine is filling out. Is it getting better? It's getting better. Yeah. It's getting better. Is it really getting better? It is. Okay. It is. There were actually a number of movies at the beginning of the year that sort of flew under the radar that are that are worth checking out now. okay i i need some kind of list because i actually think we were on pace for a pretty good year and yep. then covid happened and they canceled everything I fucked everything up yeah yeah because yeah, my, my, my list like the top five are okay but man like it's just it's just like what that like color out of space is still in my top 10 that's crazy it's still in my top 10 i, I, I have a couple movies that'll knock it out for you don't okay. worry <laughs> It should, and I like that movie, but it should not be in the top 10. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, love you so very, very much. Uh, we'll be back next week with more shenanigans and then it's Christmas time. Until then, enjoy uh, these six Christmas favorites and others. I posted a letterbox list, by the way, of my favorite Christmas movies. So oh. if you want to get through some of your holiday viewing, go check that out. Yeah. Um, I did another letterbox list recently. Did you? Yeah, it was my ranking of all the Friday the 13th films. Oh, great. Which what, what are you on Letterboxd? Where am I? Yeah. Uh, What's your handle? I think... Is no. it just Adam Hall? I think it is just Adam Hall. Let me see. Let me see, because I should know this. Sorry, listeners, but I have to look up my letterbox. Here it is. I think it is Adam Hall. I th- yeah, I think it's just flat out, I am the Adam Hall? Wow. Yeah, all lowercase, Adam Hall, one word. Look at and- that. I am N. D. Gregorio, but I should probably change that. Yeah. But do a search if you want to follow us on Letterboxd. I'm posting like crazy on there, man. Yeah. Every movie I, I do, I try to write like a paragraph on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if I care enough about the movie, I'll write a paragraph. But yeah. So yeah. go check that out. Okay.
That's it. Uh, now a, a little explanation. Of course, it's the holidays. It's a, a great annual tradition every year. Um, at, at least a dozen times. I, I like to say a particular quote, but I will give it to you. Uh, I need to explain a little bit. Home Alone 2, of course, as I just said, my favorite Home Alone movie. Uh, several years ago, I was walking through my friend John's front lawn, and I was with a number of our mutual friends, and I accidentally stepped into a ditch in the front lawn and tripped. And what I exclaimed in that moment was a quote from Home Alone 2 that I had not even realized. <laughs> was so important to me. Like, it's one of those things I never said it, but it just sort of came out because I don't know. It's just ingrained in my being. And ever since then, if I'm watching home alone too, I'll take a little Snapchat video and I'll send it to my friends or I'll just say it to them in person. Uh, but here you go. Take it away, Adam until next time. And in the words of Marv from home alone too. Wow. What a hole. <laughs>